Thank you for checking out our podcast here at Eastern Assembly of God Church in Baltimore, Maryland. If you'd like more information about our church, you can find us at www.easternassembly.org. Good morning, church. Good morning to those joining us online. Thank you for uh, being here today. Thank you, Pastor Ed. Uh, Let me begin by honoring uh, your pastor and uh, letting you uh, hear from my heart that this is this is um, a real privilege for me, and I'm I'm delighted to be here. It was 28 years ago uh, next month that I was invited to a church service at a church that Pastor was leading, and um, it speaks to the uh, the fruit of uh, affect my life. My ministry is a fruit of his faithfulness, and so the legacy continues on. The story that's being written that was started. Uh, may that be an example to the rest of us because we don't readily know at the time what God will do with our sacrifice, our time, and the lives that God has used you to imprint in that now are doing great things. And um, I believe like Sir Isaac Newton once said, if I see further than others, it's because I'm standing on the shoulders of great men or giants. And I, I believe your pastor to be one of those giants in the faith and a hero of the faith. Would you give him a hand? Amen. You guys have a great pastor, a great pastor's wife, and um, it's a privilege to share this platform. One thing that I just kind of want to throw out there, I speak in churches occasionally around the country or in conferences or um, in business venues, and one thing I've learned is there's, the, there's this initiation process, like I don't know you, you don't know me, and so we got to kind of feel each other out. It's a little bit of a dance for a moment. And so let me just tell you back home, I, I really appreciate amens. And it's not because I need my ego stroked. It's because I know that you're tracking with me if I get an amen. I liken it to fishing. Pastor Ed knows that I love to fish, so he took me out fishing yesterday. We did real good. And uh, sometimes I fish with artificial baits. Sometimes I'll fish with a bobber and a worm. And you know when you cast out with a bobber and a worm, how do you know you're getting a bite? The bobber goes down, right? So amens let me know I'm getting a bite. And if I don't get an amen or a head nod, I'm just going to keep fishing that hole until I get that I know that everyone's tracking with me. So we could be here all afternoon. You might just want to amen me down right off. Let's just practice. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Um, My my background is in a mechanical and an engineering uh, field. And so my my mind works towards the how-tos. I like principles. I like practicality. That is not to say that I'm not a Holy Ghost man, that I don't believe in the miracle-working power of God, but I think there's a danger in the church at large living from miracle to miracle. Uh, I think miracles are important. I'm, I'm thankful. I'm the product of miracles in my life, in my family, and those that um, in our community. But if you think back on a miracle, you need a miracle when it's a dire situation. It's either God comes through it or, or something bad wrong is going to happen, Right? Yet I believe the Bible is filled with principles, kingdom principles, that if we will use, the gap between the need of miracles gets bigger, right? I don't think having your story filled with miracle after miracle is always a good badge of honor. I think that it could be a possibility that there's some principles that we're not practicing, I think of Joshua, for example. Joshua is about to transition over the Jordan, taking the children of Israel into the promised land. And the the encounter that happens moments before he does that, God does not perform a miracle. Instead, he gives him a principle. Let Let me show you what I mean. In Joshua chapter one, verse number seven and eight, he says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. How many want to be successful wherever you go? Every hand in this place should go up. Every hand online should go up. I want to be successful. I don't want to be just aimlessly running on the treadmill of life. I want to be successful in everything that I do. Verse number eight says, here's the key. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. So then you will be prosperous and successful. So the danger I think that we run into when, uh, if we just rely on the miracle working power of God, it can make us Christians a little bit lazy because there's some principles that we need to do that require disciplines in our lives. Um, Also, we preachers can get into a trap where something preaches real good on Sunday, but if it doesn't work on Monday, it was pointless on Sunday. Another way that we could say it, truth 
with handles. I want y'all to carry something out of this place that you might be able to use on Monday morning or back at the shop or at the office or back at the school or um, in your classrooms. I I really want God to use something that we have to say today uh, to minister to our hearts and lives, not just be an experience or just another guest speaker who who came on Sunday morning. Uh, I wanted to run this illustration because uh, your pastor is one of the best Bible teachers I've ever known. And so what I want to do is not try to, to teach you something new, but maybe Maybe offer another perspective. So here's a, a, a little thing I'd like you to try. Could you hold your hand up like this for me, everyone in this place? Now bring it close to your face, almost touching your nose, but still able to see me through your fingers. From your current perspective, your hand looks bigger than me. I'm a 200-pound guy, so clearly your hand is not bigger. But now slowly bring it away. The perspective changes. More clarity comes. Your hand is, in fact, smaller than me. So my prayer is that if I could offer some form of perspective that would help us today, that that it would unlock something more to the experience of knowing Jesus in a way that's not just a Sunday morning experience. It's something that we carry into the marketplace and we lead it into our homes and we ultimately make an impact on this world and the community around us. Amen? Amen. All right, so I'm gonna go to a, a verse that has for years bothered me. In fact, a few weeks ago, we ended a series that I started at my church called The Bible Bothers Me. And I did that on purpose. I wanted it to be a little bit catchy because I wanted people to think, why in the world would the Bible bother a preacher? It's not that the Bible bothers me. There's just certain verses and things that don't make sense to me. And, and I try to understand it. And one of those is found in Matthew's gospel, chapter four. It's when Jesus had just left the wilderness. He's starting his earthly ministry. And he's walking down the sea, and he comes upon these professional fishermen. And as we read in the text, all that he says is, come follow me. And these professional fishermen drop everything, and as fast as they can, get off that boat and begin to follow Jesus. We don't have much background as to why they would respond like that. I've heard people commentate or give their thoughts and opinions, but... I'm telling you, how does that conversation go, guys, when you go home and tell the missus, hey, honey, I did a thing today. I handed in the keys to the shop. I'm now gonna follow this rabbi for the rest of our lives. Aren't you excited? I mean, that's kind of how I'm reading it. Like this, what was so, so compelling that they would leave everything, their family business, to go follow Jesus? To understand that, we gotta go, we gotta go back into Hebrew culture, and I wanna go to history first. I wanna share something that happened to me personally And then I want to talk about some principles and tools that I think will help us all. To understand why that statement was so important, you have to understand that Hebrew culture involved a a very uh, driven importance on the study of Scripture. When a Hebrew child would leave home and go to school for the first time, the, the, the child around five or six years old, in order to enter school, they had to have the book of Leviticus memorized. I'm telling you, parents, when, when, my, when my son comes to me and gives me his memory verse, I'm thinking, hallelujah. Can you imagine having them come to you and read verbatim Leviticus from memory? So in order to even get into school, they had to have the book of, of Leviticus memorized. And then from the age of five or six up until 12, they were studying the rest of the five books of the Torah. And the first day, the the rabbi, the teacher, would come through with honey, and he would put it on the tablet that they would write on, and he would have them smear their finger on it and then put it in their mouth. What he wanted to do is to imprint in their memory that the most decadent, wonderful thing that could ever enter them is God's word. And so they would go after this process of learning, studying, memorizing the scriptures. Well, at age of 12 or thereabouts, there was a transitional moment where they were either going to continue on to the next level of schooling or they were released to go back to their parents and pick up the trade in which their parents did. But the very best of the best of the best were then separated and interviewed by another rabbi. And if they passed the interview process, they were invited to go on to what's called Bet Talmud, which is the school of the disciple. If they made it, if they made the cut, and only a select number did, they would now follow that rabbi for approximately 18 years. And they would learn everything that that rabbi knew. Not just his doctrine and theology, but they would follow that rabbi in such a specific way that if that rabbi had kind of a funky walk when he walked, those disciples had a funky walk when they walked. When they talked, they talked just like their disciple or their rabbi, rather. When they did business and went to the marketplace, everything they did was just like their rabbi. 
And after 18 years, when they finished rabbi school, school, the Bet Talmud, they would be water baptized and they would officially become a rabbi. Well, if you track Jesus's life, this is exactly what was happening when he was water baptized. When he came out, he started his earthly ministry as a rabbi teacher. Well, every rabbi at that point, their first order of business was to go get some disciples. And where would they go? They go back to the school to find the very best of the best of the best. And that rabbi had one thing in mind, one question that he had to establish within his own conscience. This is what it was. When he would say to that student, you're worthy of being my disciple, he had already determined in his mind that you can do what I do and I believe you could do it better. And the only words that were, so, were said to the potential disciples were, follow me. So Jesus is water baptized. He's now a rabbi. He's going to get his posse, his team, his disciples. Well, where does he go? Does he go to the school? If you know the scriptures, you know he didn't. We're back in Matthew chapter four. Jesus is walking on the sea and he talks to a couple of fishermen, a couple of brothers. Think about it. That means they didn't make the cut. They were out doing their family business. And Jesus told these two individuals and the others that he would call, you didn't make the cut, but I see it in you, greatness. I see within you the potential to do what I do and to do it greater. The words that every Hebrew boy ever longed to hear were, follow me. And so Jesus, by speaking those words, they couldn't get out of that boat quick enough. I'm here to begin by saying to you that if you don't feel like you make the cut, if you feel like you're disqualified, if you don't feel like you come from the right pedigree, if you feel like you failed too many times, Jesus is calling you and saying, come follow me. And Jesus means by that, I believe that you can do what I do and you can do it greater. It's powerful to me because I fall in that category of those who didn't make the cut. I'm not in a position where I am because of my or good behavior. It's by God's grace alone that he would call someone like me, that he would call someone like you to make a difference. So now let's fast forward. In the fall of 2018, I was bringing my two younger boys to an indoor trampoline park. These teenage boys, anything that I could do to get them off a device and do something active, I'm all on that, right? Any parents out here, any grandparents, get the kids doing something. So I bring them over to the indoor trampoline park and they have 90 minutes to exhaust themselves. I had to make a decision. Do I just drive back home, wait, come back? Or do I take this rare moment of quiet and enjoy this time alone? And that's exactly what I decided to do. In my briefcase, I've always got a book with me. So I figured I'm just gonna park in the backside of this parking lot and I'm gonna take the next 90 minutes to just enjoy some peace and quiet. And so that's what I did. I'm in this posture now. I'm reading this book and some time elapsed. I don't know exactly how much time, but something got my attention. It could have been something as simple, someone walking to their car. I heard their voice or I heard a car door close. Something got me to look up. And when I did, to my surprise, the parking lot had really filled in. It, I mean, and in my opinion, an abnormal amount of cars. And I'm looking at all these cars, a variety of makes and models. And I began to, to think, and my mind's wandering, about all of these people. And how easy would it be to just exist in this world and never really know them, meet them, or better yet, make an impact in their lives? So now I'm thinking more and more about how easy it is just to be in a community and not really leave a mark. So now this moment where I'm noticing cars, I'm praying, not for cars, but for people, and it's becoming very reverent and heavy, and I'm I'm getting emotional at this point. And as I'm praying for these people, I, I whispered this prayer. I said, God, I just want my life to make a difference. I want... I want to make an impact. And the Lord whispered back to me and said, you can, just ditch your ego. (laughs) Well, that got my attention because I'm thinking, did you hear me right, Lord? That was a pretty heroic prayer. Like I said, I want to make an impact. And he said, you can, you just need to ditch your ego. What I discovered in that moment and what I've been unpacking for the last couple of years is something that I, I I believe is within my story is similar to yours. We within Christian conversations and Christian cultures and church attending Christians, we tend to have an idea of one aspect of ego. We align ego to the arrogant person, the person in your life that's demonstrative, the person in your life that you know when you talk with them, they're really not listening, they're just pausing to pick up where they left off. 
That's that person, that coworker, that family member that when you're talking to them, you catch them looking over your shoulder because they caught a glimpse of themselves in the reflection behind you. You know that, that person who's always got that one-up story on you? You, you might have caught this fish, but they caught this fish. Or you might have done this, but they did that. You, if someone's not readily coming to mind right now, you might be that person. And that's good. We're going to have space after the end of the church service, and you're, you're going to get set free. Praise God. But I, my, I'm, I'm willing to gamble this morning that you, like me, that wasn't my primary issue. And that was not what the Lord was talking to me about in the car that day. I needed to dish my ego, but it wasn't an arrogance or thinking that I'm better than in all honesty, I mean, there's probably been times in my life just like yours where I, I had arrogance slip in. But for the most part, ego that had to be removed from me and what, what needs to be removed from us all is the other side. I've discovered it's just as egocentric to be dominated by insecurities, the wrong story of programming other people's opinions or fear of men. And that's where I landed. If I was gonna do more for the Lord or actually have an impact like I was asking for, he was telling me that I'm gonna have to readjust the way I think about humility. We struggle with this, church. Christians struggle with this because we have an idea of humility that we have to think we're worms. We have to think that we're worth nothing. We have to think that we're just garbage. That's not really the kingdom idea of humility. Humility is believing what God says about you over what you feel about you. You see how arrogant it is to believe what you feel about yourself over what God, the creator, actually says about you. It's egocentric. And if you want to change the world, you're going to have to be like me and stop elevating how you feel about yourself above what God says about you, both individually and through his word. Romans chapter 12, verse number three, the apostle Paul says, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. If you'll give me some liberty on this particular verse, I, I think we would all agree that the apostle Paul is saying that you shouldn't elevate yourself in an arrogant way or think higher of yourself or think in terms of favoring you because you're so great. I think that applies, but I also think it's possible that you can elevate yourself highly, more highly than you ought, even if you're allowing your insecurities to sit on the throne of your life. You're still placing you above what God says about you. And so thinking more highly of yourself than you ought, it says you, and Paul didn't say you can't think highly of yourself. He says just don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. So in the, the midst of this, this moment in my car, uh, God deposited a title of a book. I'd never written a book before. And the title is Ditch Your Ego, Find Your Dream. And it, it came pouring out of me within, within one sitting. I, I wrote out the chapter titles. We do have the book available um, in the foyer, and I'll, I'll try to remember to mention it again at the end of service. But the title of this book and the content of this book I, I derived from Matthew chapter 16, verse number 25. Jesus says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I used to read this verse and think in terms of my, my physical uh, mortality. Like if you, ha you have to be willing to die, you know, physically die in order to save your life. And, and I don't believe that's what the, the intention of Jesus is saying. I'm convinced of it now because when I discovered the word life that appears twice in this verse, it's the Greek word suke. It's where we get the English word psyche. It's where we also have found historically the word gets translated for ego. So I hijacked the phrase and said, ditch your ego, find your dream. So if you will be willing to lose your mind, your psyche, your ego, the way that you think, and actually put on the mind of Christ, you will find a whole new way of living. I'm gonna stick with the word dream because I believe in, in the terms I'm trying to use it, Dream is not just about the best life now. Dream is not the American dream. It's the dream or vision that God wants for your life. God has a plan of impact for you. God has a purpose for you. There is purpose in you. Yet we tend to fall into this place of insecurity. We all wrestle with it. I wish that we could just do one big altar call and Pastor Ed or I could come up and just lay hands on people and insecurity would be delivered and you'd never deal with it again. 
The problem is you've got two eyeballs and an ears, right? So you see stuff, you hear stuff. You, we live in the day of, of Uber connection where everyone can take a snapshot of their dinner or their, the, the party they're attending, and then you think everyone's got it better than you. There's always a battle for comparison that wants to speak or pour into our insecurities. The problem with insecure Christians, it's like hiding in the shadows, here in this room, there are different dark spaces and shadows that we, we tend to find ourselves hidden away in those things. Instead, God wants us actually to be visible so that we can be models, demonstrators, prototypes of a life that's yielded to him what's possible to be fruitful and growing and, and impactful. Another, another problem with, with insecurities is the idea of living average. When you decide to live average, you are just as close to the bottom as you are at the top. Let that sink in. God hasn't called you to be average. When you're average, you're camouflaged. There's a real temptation for us to hide ourselves in the crowd because we camouflage ourselves in there because of the insecurity. We're, we're afraid of looking different or standing out, yet that is exactly what we're called to do. I was talking to Gus before service, and he's an avid hunter. Man, I, it's like we cracked the, the, the valve on that, and it was like a tidal wave coming out about his hunting stories and his great trophies. And I got a bit of, of envy I'm dealing with this morning now that I've seen all of his trophies. But where I come from in Michigan, Michigan is among the highest uh, of uh, uh, one of the states that gives out the highest amount of, of white-tailed deer hunting licenses. In Michigan, we, we sell more than 700,000 uh, deer licenses every year. It's a huge part of our economy. It's a huge part of people's uh, family and culture and tradition. It is so important to uh, the, the Michiganders that many of our school districts actually close down school on opening day of deer season so their students can go hunting. There are two types of hunters. If you ask them, the real hunters are the ones who, who shoot bows and arrows. But the generalized hunter is the one that uses a rifle. And the distinct difference is this. In Michigan, I've got a friend named Matthew, and Matthew is the most dedicated hunter I know. He will literally uh, leave his house in his underwear to go out to the garage to put on his clothes because he doesn't want any chance that the smell from his house gets on his clothes. He wears a scent lock suit. He wears a respirator over his mouth because he doesn't even want his breath to stink up the air. He will, he will take 45 minutes to an hour to tiptoe through the weeds, not to step on a branch that would normally take you five minutes to get to his deer stand. He'll take 45 minutes to do that, and then he'll get out there two hours before daylight so that there's absolutely no chance that a deer is going to see him, smell him, or know that he's there. That is the epitome of camouflage. So if you've got this unction or stirring to live a life that's camouflaged, you might want to move to Michigan and take on deer hunting. But if you want to make an impact in your city and you want to make an impact around the world, you're going to have to step out of the camouflage, step out of the insecurities, and begin to embrace what God says about you. That was a good spot to say amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 14. Jesus again speaking. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine. Someone say, so shine. That's not just kind of a glimmer. That's so shine. That's like looking up at these lights shine. That's like bright light shine. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. One thing is a natural man. You as a natural man or woman. Uh, we cannot see someone's spirit. By looking at you, I would not know if you are a born-again person or not. Your spirit might be righteous, pure, and holy. Uh, you, you, you might be transformed and brand new on the inside, but by just looking at you, I cannot tell that. But I can see your fruit. I can see what you do. Works are not to get God's attention. Good works are to get the, to the attention of those who are far from him. So when we so shine, we respond to what God is doing. It's not to draw attention unto us. It's to reflect who God is and what God can do through a yielded vessel. Amen. You guys are amazing. Look at your neighbor. Say, you're amazing. Look at the, look at the other person on the other side of you. Say it with conviction. You're amazing. It's, it's more than rhetoric. Science tells us that you are one out of 400 million sperm that made it to the egg. You're a miracle. 
You've been winning from the beginning. You are wired for success. Yet many of us have been programmed for failure. It's not who you're created to be, but many of us, because of the things that we're dealing with in our own conscience, our own souls, uh, insecurities and wrong programming, fear of men, we're, we're living below our potential. You're not an accident. You may have been a surprise to your mom and dad, but you were no surprise to God. As I said before, you were born on purpose, and that means that you were born with a purpose. And you have a gift from God that's inherent, meaning it didn't come from mom or dad. It came from God himself. And if a person has purpose, and you do, that purpose is to meet the need of something or someone. We have very challenging things going on in our culture right now. But it's not fair for us to say that it's any harder than the generations before us. It's different, but it's not necessarily harder. Every generation has had to deal with their own issues, both politically, socially, changes that were happening. Pandemics are not new to humans. Um, us navigating this, we need the power of God, the leading of the Holy Spirit. We definitely need community. We need the body of Christ. But we are here on purpose. And God has within you, not just some preachers, not just some, some worship leaders, not just the visible people. Each one of us have a purpose. And so that means that God needed you for this era, this time frame, to meet a need of something or someone. And if you don't ditch your ego, you're actually withholding a purpose that meets the need for others. You see, it's not just about you. It's about what you bring to this world. I've got a gift. You have a gift. And one of the things that I discovered about the gifts of God seems silly, but we need to be reminded. I didn't go to God's gift store and say, hmm, I think I'll take one of those. No, it wouldn't have been a gift if I could go pick it out or purchase it. God is the gift giver, and he's the one who chooses what gifts go inside of us. I didn't pick my gift. You didn't pick your gift. So it's not fair for me to compare my gift to yours or you to compare your gift to mine. I need to celebrate your gift, honor your gift, get behind your gift, just like you need to get behind mine. And so in that, there's a freedom. I don't need to compare myself. I'm not in competition with you. I don't need to be just like you. I don't need to try to trade my gift off for yours or be disappointed. I do need to yield to mine. And you need to yield to yours and you need to embrace it. And so when we embrace the purpose, the gift of God, it's honoring God. In fact, when you work hard, I'm not working hard to gain my salvation. I'm, I'm working hard because I've got salvation. Working hard is actually a gift back to the gift giver. It's an act of worship. Working through the gift that God gave me. Now, I put this tree up on the screen. There's usually a person who is an arborist who can tell by looking at a tree, and if that's you, please don't spoil it for me. But most of us are not going to be able to look at this tree and go, oh yeah, that's a maple, or that's an oak. Oh, that's an ash. It is, it is virtually impossible to tell by looking at this picture what it is. Well, that is until we showed the picture with its fruit on it. Then it becomes very clear that it's an apple tree. And this apple tree is doing good. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of fruit on that tree. Something I discovered about fruit, both on this apple tree and in your life, it, it is your value. It's your value add to the world. The apple tree here uh, grows a bunch of apples, but it doesn't need or eat its own apples in order to survive. The fruit that it produces is not for the tree, it's for others. Isn't that powerful? So the gift within you and the fruitfulness of that gift is not for you. You don't need it to survive. Others need it to survive. Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 16, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Please notice the verse doesn't say that God brings you before great men, but the gift that God gave you brings you before great men. Your gifting, your purpose, because it meets the need of something or someone actually becomes the thing that attracts people to you. If I can reflect more and more what Jesus looks like, the danger, of course, is then trying to take credit for that or trying to make disciples unto yourself. There is a temptation for that, of course. But we're talking about in a, in a way of attracting others by your gifting for the purpose 
of ministering unto them and ultimately helping to connect those who are far from God to the Savior. You will attract people by your fruitfulness. So let me just go back to the apple tree and ask you a couple questions that I've asked of myself. When I go to an apple tree, this is, this is not what I do. I don't go up to an apple tree and go, mm, look at that bark, right? I don't go get attention. Oh, check out these leaves. No, how about those branches? What attracts us to the apple tree is the apples. This is good news for some of us because they're attracted to the fruit, not you. It's not about you, which is really uh, freeing for me because there are people that actually get upset. Maybe you've experienced this too. They get upset that God's using you. They get upset that someone like you is fruitful, yet it's not about you. It's about you yielding. It's always about Jesus, but the fruit, is, the fruit alone still attracts people, and we get to minister to people who don't even like us. I'm looking at a room full of potential. Potential is something we, we wrestle with, too, because, as I mentioned, most of us here, uh, if not all of us, and those watching online, you've got two eyes and two ears. So potential is something that we confuse with our current position sometimes, meaning we're looking around, we're listening, and so we see our current circumstance as a sentence instead of a season. See, potential is not what you are doing. Potential is what you're capable of doing. And so I can say with conviction, I'm looking at a room full of potential. Let me uh, get caught up here. This picture is a 2005 GSXR Suzuki 600cc model. This was the 25th anniversary model for Suzuki, and Suzuki wanted to make sure that that year in particular, that they produced a motorcycle that outperformed Yamaha, Kawasaki, and, and Honda. And every shootout that year, Suzuki absolutely did what they set out to do. This motorcycle is so impressive that it will go zero to 60 in three seconds or less. It, this motorcycle will go zero to 100 in 10 seconds or less. This motorcycle is so fast that it will go straight from the factory, no bolt-ons or modifications required, 158 miles an hour. So I had to have one. This is a picture of my motorcycle. And I knew it was coming. I was watching for it. And so when we bought it, it was in February. February in Michigan is no time to ride a motorcycle. In fact, I don't encourage anyone to buy a motorcycle in February because it just taunts you. You've got this great toy in the garage that you can't touch or ride. You can just keep polishing it. Well, I was tired of looking at it, talking about it, polishing it, and I'm watching the weather. March had gone by, still not sufficient. Early April, all I was looking for was a top temperature of more than 50 degrees. I didn't care if it just hit 50 once in the middle of the afternoon. It could have been snowing in the morning. If it was 50 degrees in the, in the afternoon, I was going to ride that motorcycle for the first time, and finally the day came. So I bundle up. I head into the office. I'm working in the marketplace at the time. And I had a matching yellow helmet, a matching yellow jacket. I get into the office before uh, any of my staff do. And I set my matching helmet on my desk next to my computer. Well, about 20 minutes later, one of my employees, who I had hired over the wintertime, showed up, noticed the motorcycle in the parking lot that wasn't normally there. And when he came into the office, he saw the matching yellow helmet sitting next to me. And he put two and two together. And with a really puzzled look on his face, he goes, Phil? Is that your motorcycle out there? Proud as could be, sticking my chest. Oh, yes, it's mine. And without missing a beat, he says, Huh, didn't they make it in boy colors? <laughs> You're fired. No, I, I about fell out of my seat laughing. It was funny. It was, a, it was a good zinger. We're still friends today, praise the Lord. But here, here's the question. Does the fact that he made fun of my motorcycle change its potential? No. If I only drove that motorcycle at a top speed of 55 mile an hour for the rest of its life, did that change its potential? Imagine I'm out riding the motorcycle and someone with a similar motorcycle, similar CC, similar horsepower, passes by me on the road. Does that change the potential 
of that motorcycle. So why do we allow the, the criticisms and what people say to hinder ours? Can I encourage you? Let's stop using our critics like stop signs and start viewing them more like a billboard. You're going to pass about a half a dozen of them on your way to your destination. It's part of the process. In fact, I've discovered in my life, and maybe you have too, that critics are a sign of progress. The moment you leave the crowd, the camouflage of everyone else, and you step out ahead, when they, when they start hurling criticism at you, it's usually less about you and more revealing of their own insecurities because you had the courage to step out and do what they wish they had the courage to do. Amen. It's not too late for anyone here, by the way. I know that life has its curveballs, and I think all of us have been through trials and challenges, maybe even at the you know, faults of some of your own bad decisions. But I want to encourage you that, number one, purpose is never destroyed by circumstances. That is to say that whatever you were born to do is still with you, and whatever you were born to become is still in you. If you take a bird, for example, and you put that bird into a cage, trapping the bird doesn't destroy its ability to fly. It restricts it. So in other words, the cage becomes its limitations. I wonder if we could see into the spirit what the cages around us would look like. It's not that you're capable or not capable of flying, but there's some environmental things, there's some ideas, maybe some beliefs that you have that's keeping you from soaring to heights that God has for you. So we started historical. I shared my own personal story. Now let's talk about some applications, some how-tos, so that we can, we can walk out of here with some truth with handles. It's, it's really removing the limits. It's removing the cages of our lives. So how do we do that? We need to, number one, we need to start creating some new circumstances. And it's easier than we often think. Inside a seed is a tree. Inside, a, inside of a seed is, is a plant of some sort. But if I take that seed and I go out to your parking lot and I lay it on top of the asphalt, it's the wrong environment. That seed is not going to take off. But if I take the seed, say the seed, and place it in the ground, it's actually going to begin to take off the right environment. It's now been created. So in order to start changing our environment, we can't, we can't fall for the, the temptation of just doing outward change. Outward change starts from inward change. The way that we begin to change the way that we think and remove the limitations, it starts by what you meditate on. And sometimes when you say meditation to, to, to Christians, there's a nervousness that we're talking about something perverted like an Eastern religion. And not, I'm not talking about that, but I think if you study the scriptures, you'll find that meditation, what you think on, is mentioned a lot. And where you focus and what you think about is what you bring about. Meditation is simply doing inventory of what you believe to be true. And when you rehearse in your mind and you meditate on what you believe to, to be true, you will actually increase that in your life. And it can go either direction. It can go towards discouragement and despair, or it can go towards encouragement, faith, and, 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 uh, and building up what God has said about you. Meditation is just having an awareness over and over in our minds. And the truth is, most of us are masterful at meditating. We just don't even know it. Let me ask you, have you ever, have you ever worried before? Worried about a bill that was late? Worried about someone that uh, is far from Jesus? Or worried about someone who's fighting off a sickness? I mean, if you've ever worried, that is a form of meditation. And my guess is while you were worrying and meditating about those things, you still got the kids around. You still went to work, right? You still did your errands. You're capable of meditating and doing life. Yet when we meditate on the wrong things, we actually get more of what we don't want. But if we meditate on the right things, the promises of God, what he's declared over us, we get more of those things. It's just simply being aware. If you've ever bought a new vehicle or a truck, do you ever notice that the day after you bought it, you spot that same car everywhere? That same truck everywhere? I mean, what was, what was the deal? Did everyone go to the dealership that very same day and buy that same vehicle? Of course not. What happened? You're just more aware of it. You're looking for it. So when you meditate, you're just looking for the right thing. The wrong thing will get you the wrong results. The right thing will get you good results. Meditating is like marinating a cut of steak. Think about it this way. When you marinate, it is for the pleasure of the consumer, not the meat. 
the longer you let that meat marinate in that flavor, the more the flavor gets into the meat. It doesn't benefit that steak. It benefits me when I eat it. The same is true when I marinate my mind in the things of God. When the world takes a bite out of me, they're not tasting Phil McKinney any longer. They get a taste and they get to see the goodness of God. Amen. Amen. So when we meditate on the things of God, we begin to literally marinate in Jesus and everything that he says about us. Another part of changing our circumstances and staying kind of on the internal side of this is our attitudes. Attitudes are a challenge because we can be encouraged today, but when we leave, many of us still have some challenges to go home to or Monday cometh kind of a thing, right? So attitude is something that we need to work on. We need to practice. I think attitude is much like a muscle. You've got to work it out in order to get stronger. The resistance that you feel is actually going to help you become stronger. And attitude is something that we need to work on. Again, I wish we could just have everyone come up here. We just pray over your attitude. You're delivered and you never have to deal with it again. But we are sharing spaces with other human beings. And Christian or not, we have a way of getting on each other's nerves at times. And we need God's help. So let yourself off the hook a little bit because it's a process. There's, there's a, it's a journey, not a, not a sprint. And I like what Zig Ziglar used to say. He used to say, inch by inch, a cinch, yard by yard, it's hard. Little steps, little progress, a little intentionality goes a long way. Let me begin to wrap up with this. When a person does not live up to their potential, I think we'd all agree it's sad. But it's far more tragic than that. Because I believe that when a person doesn't live up to their, to their potential, we all suffer. Because the gift in you, the purpose in you isn't just for you, it's for us. And so we need you to be wildly successful. The benefit of, of taking a piece or a hold of anything that you've heard today is this. In this building, there are hidden pipes and, and, and plumbing that you don't get to see. The purpose of those pipes, some of them, is to bring water from one resource to another space in this building. The purpose of those pipes isn't to get wet. The purpose of those pipes is to deliver water from its source to its end use. The byproduct is it gets wet. When you and I view ourselves as a conduit of God, the byproduct of being used by him is we get blessed. But that's not the primary purpose. It's to bless others. And here's the key. At my house, we have a spigot on the outside. You probably do too. Where if I want to hook a hose to it, I can bring water to anywhere in the yard that my wife's flowers or her, her garden or for the kids to play in the sprinkler system. And when I hook that hose up to the faucet and I turn it on, the hose becomes so full that it comes gushing out the other side. And so long as I keep that hose connected to the spigot, the hose itself is full, overflowing and splashing everywhere it needs. But, but if I take that hose off from the spigot, eventually that hose, it doesn't have enough for itself and it certainly doesn't have enough to give away. If you and I would learn or practice staying connected to the source, which is Jesus, the byproduct is that we are so full, so satisfied, so blessed that everywhere we go, we are splashing and getting everybody wet with God's goodness. Amen. Amen. So I wanna, I wanna invite you to pray with me, if you'd stand. And we're gonna make room for some ministry up here as well. I, I was uh, very encouraged at the end of, of last service. Some of the the words that God gave to some people. And so I, I want to make room for that again. I believe there are three primary types of people here today. I believe there are those that essentially heard what I had to say and, and it was more of a, uh, that's what I needed. That, that's, that's, just, that's where I'm tracking. I'm, so, I'm just encouraged and that just helps me. It's like the person running a marathon you ever notice after so many miles, they have people that are just staged and they have just a little cup of water? You just throw a little, little splash of water in your mouth and you're refreshed and you can keep going for another couple miles. They don't hand the person a bucket, right? It's just a little glass of water. Some of y'all, you just got that shot of water, that boost that you needed. You're feeling good, you're encouraged, you're in a great season and this just kind of comes along and gives you an attaboy or an girl. But I also believe there's another group of us here today that you resonate with what I said. 
You want to do great things. You want to make a difference in this life. You don't want to just exist and die and within, within a generation not be remembered. And it's not just about you being remembered. It's about using your life, your time, the value and purpose that God put within you to make a difference on this world. And maybe you're struggling with a false humility that you, you've bought into the side of ego is that I just so, I'm so cautious of being arrogant. I don't want to stand out. Yet it's a contradiction to what Jesus said. He wants you to stand out. He wants you to be a light. He wants you to emerge from the crowd and actually stand out in your uniqueness, not for your attention, but to draw attention to Jesus. In John 15, 8, Jesus said that our Father in heaven is glorified when we bear much fruit. You're a chip off the old block. That means that you should look like daddy. That God is one who meets needs. God jumps in. God gets involved. That's what love does. Love is selfless. So becoming more is not about you. It's about serving more. And I want to I pray for you that you'd be set free from that mindset and begin a journey like I've been on, ditching my ego, losing my mind, and finding a whole new way of life. But there's a third type of person that's here today or watching online. And that's one that feels far from God. All this sounds great. Lots of potential. Of course, who doesn't want, who doesn't want to do great things? Well, maybe you can relate to the idea of a hero. As I mentioned at the start of the service, Pastor Ed Michaels is a hero to me. Because of his willingness to do what God said, he he modeled for a, a teenage boy what was what was possible. And through his sacrifice, my life was changed forever. Being a hero, if you do some research on the word, I believe it has its roots in the Latin language. It means to serve. And I want to tell you, if you haven't heard this before, Jesus is the ultimate superhero. He's the one who initiated the plan. He's the one who descended. He, he said that we read within scripture that God so loved, it was God's idea, the Father's idea to bring the rescuer. And he doesn't require you to step up here to where he's at. He descends to where you're at. And he's willing to say, and he is saying to you now, follow me. Meaning that he sees within you greatness. He believes that you can do what he does and greater. The hero is inviting you to take a journey. He says, if you follow, I'll do the making. Meaning that this life that we're talking about will be made as we follow him each day of our lives. And so I wanna pray for that group as well. And for me, it's not as important that I lead you in the right prayer, but that I point you to the moment of yielding. Yielding simply means giving the right of way. It's acknowledging that you don't have the goods in, in and of yourself. That you come to the table empty-handed, but you're at the table. And he wants to give you a life, the bread of life himself that satisfies. You will discover, you'll become so satisfied that you lose the hunger for things that are lesser than him. Let's pray. Father, across this room, I thank you for meeting our needs in such specific ways. For those here in the building and those watching online, it's my prayer that there would just be this separation like we're the only ones, just you and I. Father, that you would minister to each one of your sons and daughters in such a personal way, meeting them right where they're at. For some of us, it was just the, the cool drink, the encouragement that we need to keep our pace. For others, we truly desire to do more, to be more, to impact more. And we need your help. By your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would break through this false idea of humility, that we would surrender our egos today and help us to say within our own hearts, I believe what you say above, about me, above what I feel about me. My lineage, my past, my decisions, they might be what I did, but it's not who I am. And today I'm gonna follow you and allow you to make me into the person of purpose, to shine bright in our communities, in our homes. And so the one who you are strategically placed to hear this message today, that feels far from God today, by one simple decision, one answer, the answer is yes, 
Yes, Lord, I yield. I believe that you died for me. The superhero came and saw greatness in me. And today, Father, help us to acknowledge our brokenness, our frailty, our sin, and we lay it down at your feet. And we simply receive your grace and forgiveness. May today be a line in the sand kind of a day that we step into newness of life, experiencing you as we commit to following you all our days. And by your Holy Spirit, your grace that empowers us, we're gonna live differently and we're gonna trust you. And what what he's done for some, he'll do for us all. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to to ask if if you like additional ministry this morning, if you feel like God's prompted your own heart today, if, if any of these areas, if today was a day of new beginnings, we, we wanna encourage you. you. You've landed in a great church. We wanna make sure that you're served well. Today, if, if, uh, if we can pray over some strongholds that you're dealing with is keeping you from stepping out of the insecurities and the camouflage of the crowd, we wanna minister to you as well. And so, Pastor Ed, if that's okay, Some of you need to ditch your ego right now and just get down here and just say, God, I want you to use me more. Come on. It's just that moment. God, I want to be more useful. God, I want to, I know the greatest enemy to what you want to do through my life is myself. It's just the mind games and the insecurities. And so, Lord, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm just going to get out of my seat. I'm going to come down there and I'm just going to say, God, help me. Help me, Father, to see myself as you see me, to not hide behind the camouflage of, of an, an ego, this is why well, I'm not good enough, I can't do it. Lord, just today we're saying, Father, we want to be more useful. God, for some of us, Lord, uh, maybe in our older age, we want to say, God, uh, uh, God, I, I don't want to go out of this world just slowly fading. I want my latter days to be my most useful days. Come on, let's, let's pray today. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask Deacons here, staff, help us pray for these folk this morning, please.